Welcome to the Principles of Performance podcast, where we discuss how to optimize your health, fitness, and performance. Drawing on decades of experience of working as coaches, consultants, and trainers to top performers, athletes, and teens from professional sports to top universities to the U.S. military, Eric Degatti and Mike Perry discuss topics and strategies of how to perform at your highest level and be your very best. Join us and our friends and colleagues who are leaders in the fitness and performance industry as we investigate and challenge the most popular training, nutrition, lifestyle, and recovery protocols. go here we are with the principles of performance podcast i'm your host eric degatti along with my friend and co-host mike perry for episode number 71 michael we got a doozy today this guy is gonna we're probably not going to talk about anything other than shenanigans movie quotes and and bs but no honestly we, we've got a good one today jimmy's one of those guys that uh you know he he's uh He's the total package. I've never told you this buddy but you know this guy has the, the intellect Luger? he's got the skill set <laughs> but at the same time He's just a, he's a normal dude. He's a good dude. And it's nice to see people that are normal, that are good guys that are really good at what they do. And Jimmy's one of those guys. So we're excited to have him on board. Oh, thanks for having me guys. Definitely. So let's give you a little background on, on Dr. Jimmy on he's treats some of the most elite athletes in the world. So elite, like he wouldn't even tell us some of the names and it's just us before we even hit record. So that's how high level he is. Uh, he was a member of the treatment team for the 2018 Ryder cup champions that uh, was team Europe. Uh, we met Jimmy because he's an instructor for uh, functional movement systems for both FMS and SFMA. Uh, in addition to that, he also has a fellowship in medical acupuncture from the International Academy of Medical Acupuncture, um, certified in Graston. He's a Titleist uh, certified golf instructor, re uh, registered trigenist. We got to explain what that is. Uh, and strong first team leader. Uh, he also instructs for uh, TPI and TRX. Uh, he's experienced in personal training and uh, certified strength coach. But he also got his BS in psychobiology and earned his doctor of chiropractic degree. So that's where we kind of say he's the full package. He's got the full arsenal and he's listed uh, as, as in the who's who worldwide edition. He is the he is the the guy right here. Dr. Dr. Jim, welcome. Well, thanks, guys. Uh, definitely uh, sound impressive, but I'm just me. <laughs> Not a problem. Not a problem. Hey, we're going to dive right in. So uh, let's let's start about telling your personal story that led you down the path of of chiropractic and, and, and uh, physical rehabilitation. Uh, you know, it was uh, it was a cool white night and white boon. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, I would probably say it wasn't any kind of miracle thing. It was uh, you go to college, you're about junior year, you realize, holy crap, I got to actually work for a living. And uh, had to decide uh, kind of there what I needed to at least start thinking about what I wanted to do. It was um, I know a lot of guys get into healthcare industry, the training industry and all that with some uh, call it magical thing or uh, a personal story that saved them, a loved one, etc. For me, it was more of, holy cow, you got to pay the bill soon. Um, and just, uh, it still sits there because people have asked this before I was sitting in physics class and a guy next to me, um, just like, Hey, I'm going to chiropractic college. And I'm like, the F is that, you know, and, uh, looked into it and, uh, spent that summer actually, uh, just kind of shadowing a bunch of different guys. Uh, and for me, it was, I knew what I didn't want to do for the rest of my life, but I didn't know what I wanted to do. Um, and so I shadowed a couple guys and they were different styled guys, you know, guys, some guys, with multi-level practices, some guys with just a simple home practice and stuff. And it seemed like, uh, it, it was a lifestyle that I think I could do. Um, and it wasn't very specific in the sense of you had to be this way. You had to be a certain way. They were all different guys. They had their personalities. They had different populaces they worked with. And, uh, it was much easier. So I said, uh, you know, looked at what the prerequisites were and be quite blunt. I kind of had most of them. So I said, all right, let's give it a go. And that's kind of how it really started. So the, you're leaving out a part though. You, you tell a story. I know we, we've talked together about you yep. wake up a morning and your arm doesn't move. You yep. left that part out. 
Jim. Tell us about that um, whole story. So, you know, leading down a path. So fast forward a few years, um, you know, and uh, at the time I was very, very uh, what you call medical centric, call it. Uh, I was trained in a lot of different techniques, was an instructor in a lot of different things. And um, just randomly one day just couldn't just couldn't lift my arm up, my left arm. Uh, and literally it, it would take me, it was like a one RM max to go turn off the alarm clock, uh, because it was painful. It was, it, it was like, I had to literally pump myself off to turn off the alarm clock. And I was getting treated for, by some of the gifted practitioners and a lot of great medical guys. And I, it wasn't really the, it wasn't really that they did anything wrong. It just really wasn't a traditional medical solution for what would happen. And at the time, you know, a lot of times we don't realize it, uh, timing is everything. And I started to kind of just dive into learning about the functional movement screen and the SFMA. And at the time, you know, back, they, they still have the Secret of series. Remember the, the Secret of series there? Um, and I was watching it and they saw kettlebells. And really, it, it all merged at the same time. I was fortunate enough to be, I think all of us were very at, at its genesis. We kind of saw some of the, the the pieces of it all, very rudimentary in its kind of systemization, but you can kind of see the system forming. And I just started reading about it. And uh, point blank, I just thought the kettlebells looked cool. It was just like, hey, it just looked cool. And as I started to delve into this world of 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 this this kind of gray area between traditional medical solutions and almost what we call traditional training solutions that we used to use, and they kind of merge together, that's that's kind of how I dove into more of the training aspect of things and more of the, I guess you call it corrective exercise, but it was just correct exercise for what I needed to do. Yeah, so we can go down that rabbit hole a little bit later, but let's talk about how you work with rich and famous people. Um, <laughs> so uh, this whole concept of a concierge physical therapist or concierge doctor is, is relatively relatively new um, in terms of being in, in the co common lex you know lexicon of 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 what we do. It's not completely new. I mean, there's a, a great book talks about JFK's secret doctor and how he had somebody would come and treat his back pain. Um, but talk about how that's become a thing in 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 you know for the people who are unfamiliar and and, and how prevalent is that amongst high level athletes and celebrities to have someone like yourself. Um, you know, I, I would say that it's way more prevalent than than we think. Uh, it's out there. Um, and I think part of it is I, it didn't start off that way for me. Um, same thing. Worked a busy practice. Uh, just it was time for me to move on. I'm just going to leave it at that. Um, and when it's time to move on, I mean, I didn't have like this business plan to do all this stuff. Again, really a, a convergence of everything. Just started it, getting into the kettlebell world, got certified, got the FMS uh, T-shirt. You know, every one of us walked around with, you know, at the time, Patagonia pants or whatever it was, and just kind of had had the look. And uh, it just happened to be that I wanted to spend more time with people. That was it. Uh, I wanted to spend more time with people, and I kind of wanted to do it my way, you know. Uh, so, and... As my practice evolved, these opportunities kind of came more like just by coincidence, just by happenstance. And as and as as I was evolving with it, colleagues of mine were evolving with the whole concierge concept, and it turned. It just kind of evolved that way, and it's very prevalent because uh, fast forward to right about now, you've got a lot of people who HIPAA guidelines prevent me from talking which is a good thing for some of these folks, because if you're dealing with contracts and stuff, I'm not allowed to say anything. You know, I'm really not. And so whether a person's seeing me for an ankle, a knee, or whatever it may be, I really can't say anything. And it protects them a little bit more. So concierge from an athlete standpoint is actually good. Um, also, you think of the concept of a concierge. Uh, the goal is to, if we kind of, I mean, I know I'm not like Mike Perry here who stays only at five-star resorts. Okay, I've stayed in like one or two. Um, but when you look at the concierge of a five-star resort, what do they have at their disposal? Everything. They're busy doing everything and anything to make your experience as a guest smoother. 
And that's similar to what we do in concierge medicine right now. It's I'm doing anything and everything I can to make the, if you want to call it the patient, the client, whatever hat you want to put them on, their experience in life smoother, whether it be looking at red light therapy devices, whether it be, it's, it's anything and everything to help that one person have, and maybe they don't need it. You know, we, we, we have a lot of things in our lives that happen in the background that make our life smoother that we don't even know that are done for us. Right. Um, uh, and, but it makes us feel the experience better. It makes us enrich the, the healthcare better and also helps us get different insights. You totally nailed that on the head too. When we teach courses, he, you know, Perry drops me off at the red roof while he goes up to the four seasons. Yeah, hundred percent. Listen to you guys. Wow. I mean, we've all listened. We've all, we've all slept under the stairs in, in, uh, in Virginia. So we've all, we've all been there and had, had our, our options. That's um, just hazing. What's that? The hazing? Yeah, that's the uh, <laughs> that's what you have to do to the younger instructors. We all get hazed at uh, you know, we learned, but we get hazed. No, just kidding. Um, all right, Eric, anything else you want to hit before we move on? No, you got the next one, man. All right, so uh, let me ask you this. So, do you think the reason why someone seeks out this level of care is, you know, because they can't find it locally, or because maybe it's because you provide something that is so different and unique that they can't find it elsewhere, or could it be a combination of both? I think it's a combination of a lot of different factors. Um, one thing that's underrated is that I get along with my guys. Um, and because I get along with my guys, they're willing to share things a lot more that even they don't think is significant in their care. So something like the hobbies they do, their family vacations, what happened when they did this? Uh, and we work as a team. And really, I, I think that it's it's we'd love to say so like you know very linearly here's the check boxes if you want to do this this and this and this um but it really is it's a relationship um and because they're able to share different things i can see different uh different aspects of their life and interject what's going on with my life you know what am i interested in why am i using this technique because i'm just new in it i'm getting better at it you know i'm i'm sharing my vulnerabilities to them as a clinician and they understand where i'm going and they, are, they also are very forgiving of me than a normal guy who just has a checkbox because they know that in my ultimate thing is I'm trying to do the right thing for them. So I think that there, there's definitely like sometimes they can't find it, but they I think it's the, they can't find a person they really feel like is part of their team. Now, is part of that a trust factor, too, because of their status, you think? Um You'd be surprised. I don't think it's as big as you think. I don't think it's a trust asset. It's really just we fit well. Um, you know, it's it's like you guys, is, there's different podcasts and different partners and working at, but you guys work well. Does that make sense? And, 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 and things that you don't even realize you're doing, you're trusting each other to, hey, I don't need to ask you about that. I know you got this, that type of thing. So um, for me, it's it's really because I'm able to spend the time and work under how I want to work. I attract the people who want to work with what I work. Now, why do you think the average clinician doesn't do this in-house? Do you think it's a skill set issue or is it because just the model of how most, you know, rehab businesses are set up in the reimbursement model doesn't allow for it? Um, I can't say that for sure because I'd be speculating um, because every practice is different. Every office is different um, with the, with how the setup is. And even all the business entities are a little different. I could just speak for my previous experience working in a different office when I first did it. So I can only speak from my kind of old perspective. And that wasn't done for a couple of reasons. Uh, number one, business-wise, it's not conducive until you are at a certain level to be able to spend with people. Um, for example, so my concierge, I could be gone for... Uh, you know, I apologize again, Eric, to you for how many times we've had to reschedule. Um, but that's really what happens to me. You know, I get, you know, for lack of a simpler way to put it, of, I get bought for the day. Like my entire day is there. I get bought for, um, you know, multiple days at a time, which my schedules all revolved around this one or two, three people that bring me out as their concierge medical guy. Um, it's not reproducible if you have a certain model where you have uh, an assistant here, a receptionist here, what are you paying all these guys for then? You know, it, it doesn't make any sense. So in my case, it was, uh, I, I think you can do that. It's, I don't believe it's skill set. I think that the skill set, um, if you want to look at um, kind of a side note, if anything, since 
the one thing that uh, I've kind of re-examined a little bit more during COVID um, and is a lot of Netflix, like we all talked about. Um, but I've really examined skill sets and I've eliminated certain things out of my skill set. Like, you know what? Let's put that one on the table a little bit. Let's take that away. I started taking things away and really focusing on what I could deliver um, with less. Can I get more with less skill set usage? We kind of tend to. And was I using a different skill or different technique because I wasn't proficient in the way I was utilizing this one? So if I took that away now, let's figure out how I can get better at it. So let's let's continue on with that. So what is your kind of um litmus test to say, okay, what stays in the toolbox and what gets pulled out? Like, what are some of the markers that that you're looking for? What are some of the realizations that you have with a, whether it be a method or a technique that says, you know what, I have a better way of doing this. I don't need this anymore, or I need to find something to fill this gap. Um, first thing I do is, is um, this sounds like I'm, you know, towing the company line, so to speak. Um, but it's the truth. I bounce it off the results of the SFMA and FMS. Uh, because once I use the word I, I already know it's somewhat subjective. So, you know, is it really me or is it really this? Um, is there an issue that um, that's revealing itself in whether the movement screen or the assessment medically? And I will utilize, it was kind of trial and error. I took a couple different things. For example, let's just say uh, shoulder external rotation. I'm just pulling something out of my butt right now, right? Um, and, and I would try different techniques that I would use to help with a specific, let's use range of motion, external rotation. And in doing so, I found out which one I could deliver the best result, which one I could deliver in a way that it was less taxing on me because I, you know, like we talked about, we have to work with other people over and over and over again. Um, and then kind of put it there. It's like, okay, last but not least, did I have a little fun doing it? Yeah. And, and the one thing I would also add is, is that we have to be careful for, because when someone hears this and say, they may say, okay, well, if that's the only framework is whether it's the FMS or the SFMA or any battery of tests is we have to be careful of that concept of Goodhart's laws that once the, the test becomes the measure, then the test is no longer valid. If we're basically studying for the test, right? If we're just, you know, if you try to get your grip strength up by just buying a captain's a crush and squeezing the grip all the time, you're missing the point and the elegance of what the grip strength test tells us. So um, talk about how using the, the SFMA or the FMS or whatever things you look at as far as just the, the concept of that test retest model of looking at say, okay, I did this and I saw this, I did this intervention, and then I want to see how it changed a, a movement behavior or changed how you how you react to a certain uh, you know pretty some much, sort of influence. You pretty much summed it up. You know, test it, see how it looks. I do I do what I need to do, and then we retest it. And then, of course, how's it feel? You know, how's it feel? I mean, you know, we talk about feelings. You know, it's not important. It's not objective. It is very important. Um, how does it make you? How does it feel? Does it feel better? What else have you noticed? You know, um, what I typically will do uh, will also be some test that I know that they actually absolutely blow away. They succeed at, you know, it's, it's what we call a functional normal or a, what I call a, you know, we call a three or a high two, whatever you want to, you know, let's kind of go with that. And I'll retest that one because I want to make sure that whatever I did, I didn't screw up a weakness. I didn't screw up a strength too. or an asset towards their movement. No. So, so let me ask you this, right? I mean, you obviously you test, you retest and, you know, a big part of what you do when you're doing this concierge thing is people need to trust you, right? I mean, people need to, to know that you are going to be uh, sort of guiding them in the, in the best direction. And you talked about skill set, but um, you know, before we kind of go on on what, what a session looks like, like how important is it that they understand that the advice that you're giving them is 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 not just going to help them move better, right? But you're probably giving them other types of advice as far as, you know, hydration, nutrition, rest, recovery. I mean, that's probably a big part of the package, right? Absolutely. Um, you know, working with some of my pro guys, um, we think of these, these the mentality of a professional athlete. Uh, but I mean, listen, we, we are all professional athletes. We use our body. You know, we got to get to work. We got to go home. We got to play with our kids. Try running around with a three-year-old all day. I guarantee you, your HRV is going up. The, like, it's it's just crazy. 
Um, so there's been times where I've just said to them, you're beyond create, go spend time for a week. Uh, I mean, a week, but this week you have to spend an hour with your mom or your dad or whatever, and just go have lunch. You know, that, that's, that's all you need. That's what you need today. Your brain is not where it needs to be. You, and it's, it's not because you're not trying, not because you're not present and all that. It's, it's just the human factor. We have to juggle all those pieces. So there's a lot of things that we work on. Um, and to be, I think the the trust factor is very important because I they know that my heart's in the right place and my brain is in the right place, but I'm not afraid to say that didn't work, or if this wasn't the solution for you, and it's what I think works, what most people work, but it didn't work for you, and also maybe it didn't work for you today. We've gone back. Um, I've I've utilized some things um in the past where I'm like, ah, crap, you know, it's not gonna work, and then I it didn't work, and then month later or two months later, the situation dictated that, hey, this is what I have to do to get a, a good response. Gotcha. So, all right. So moving on to to like what a visit looks like. What is what does a typical visit look like when you're working uh, with, with your athletes? And, um, you know, I, I imagine depending on the scenario, sometimes you have a training room, sometimes you have a hotel room, sometimes you have a lobby, sometimes you have a torture. Like, what, what does it look like? Um, it depends. Uh, if If we're at my clinic, you know, I have kind of the home court advantage. I just call it that, you know, it's it's a home court advantage where I have all the tools that I typically need, have even the space, you know, and the setup to to do what I need to do. So simple, hey, what's going on? How's life? Really, I mean, I, I typically don't talk about the person's uh, thing that they're seeing me for or thing that they want to try to address. It's more of like, how's life? What's going on? It gives me a kind of an insight as to how their day's going. Uh, kind of psych psychologically gives me an understanding because, you know, loved one passes away. I, I, I shouldn't be that pumped up for you. It's kind of annoying, you know, um, just got to be sympathetic to the person, not just the, 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 the athlete or the, the, the condition of that person. Um, and then we'll do a quick little reassessment as to what are the cardinal things that we've always assessed. Like, Hey, how, you know, kind of like your typical checklist, uh, Hey, is the engine good? Is the oil good? Is it all those things? Then we get right to the meat and bones of it. Uh, typically in my own comb office, it could be a combination of acupuncture, uh, be some soft tissue, some chiro adjusting, finish off with some corrective, uh, some, some breathing exercises if that's necessary. Also take a look at, hey, what do you got planned for tomorrow? Gives me an idea of how to bridge the gap into tomorrow. Um, hey, you're pitching tomorrow. Okay, we got to do a little different. We got to come out of a different avenue. Or, hey, you're, 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 you're in your power cycle for, you're going to increase some more power work uh, in the training room. Okay, we kind of want to jump in through here. Uh, we just did some work in your hip. Let's let me just check your hip pinch. Okay, great. Hip pinch looks good, but hey, we put a little weight in it. It's it's sloppy. What's going on? And we kind of do a little recheck um, through that. If I'm in a hotel room, you know, it's get creative. Uh, I typically, you know, tra travel and bring a basically my clinic in a it's a check-in bag. Um, you know, my mom saw me at one of these side notes things. My mom saw me one time at a road thing and she goes the hell are you some kind of diva you got like two check-in bags and, and i'm like i have a duffel bag for my clothes that's all my clinical stuff you know <laughs> and she's like oh he's like yeah because i just bring anything and everything that i could under the sun that i feel i could fit in those bags and then from there at a hotel room because you don't know what kind you get again five-star mike perry room you get everything you could call you know the butler I mean, I, maybe two for you. I I don't know. I, I actually, I actually don't even allow them to speak to me. I, exactly. I actually have no direct eye contact. They, 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 they report to someone else when I'm in the penthouse. So um, I'm actually not, no one's even allowed to look at me uh, without permission. So it's very similar to, you know, Michael Jackson's children back in the day. It's just it's confusing. Pedals on the floor for you to walk on. Well, you know, I was allergic to those. Yeah. So you didn't realize. So that's why you're no longer in part of the, the circle hey. of trust here. Hey, everybody, a quick break in the action here. Hope you're enjoying the show and we appreciate you listening. We're working hard to bring you the highest quality content and best guests every single week. So if you could do us a big favor and go and like and subscribe to the show on whatever platform you get your podcasts on, it would be greatly appreciated. Be sure to listen at the end of the show also to find out where you can find out more information about our courses, as well as a special discount code for all our listeners. Thanks again, and let's get back to the show. But yeah, you kind of put you bring you bring everything, um, and uh, you get really creative um, because, for example, we love to use an Airx pad. Great tool, 
I think it's great thickness, all that stuff, yada, yada, yada. Waste of space in a check-in bag. That's the problem, <laughs> right? So what I wound up doing is I use pillows. I start looking at the, the, the pillows and I've taken pillows that I've used from the waiting room, you know, like the, the reception, because the sofa pillows are a little thicker and they're a little firmer. So I've used everything and everything to try to get there. True to my, and because it's true to my Asian Chinese roots, I bootleg the heck out of stuff. So um, the, the one question I have, I want to go back to the timing thing, because I think there's there's a lot of gold in there, but also talk about like that the people aren't seeing you for this type of service or really anyone who has your role. They're not seeing you just because they're hurt, right? This is, a, this is, this is about performance just as much as it is, hey, I got a tweak or I got an injury I'm working through. Yeah. Um, you know, uh, timing, uh, it's, it's, it, it's, it's a loaded question. Like, are we looking in a month? Are we looking in a season? Are we looking 15 years, you know, that, into a career, how we want to do that? Um, they're seeing me for all types of things that were, uh, we, you know, tag the, the saying is, is number one predictor of injury is previous injury. So a lot of times it's my job to check under the hood to, I can't guarantee I could prevent anything. But let's just make sure that it's up to the standard that we know that your body can achieve and go from there. All right. So let's let's dive into the, the timing of it. So when your intervention strategies, how it might look different if you're doing it pregame, night before the game versus postgame, two days after the game type of thing, especially I know you have some some pitchers or something like that. Or if you have a golfer that, you know, before the match or if they have three days, how that might change over that. And then how it might on the more macro level, how it may look a little different for a baseball player coming to you now in November versus one coming to you in August. So um, I guess it's a lot to unpack, but let's try to unpack it the best we can. Um, let's use uh, the scenario of a golfer. Um, if golfer comes in, and I actually say this even with non-professional high-level golfers, but even non-professional golfers that are not high-end, but they have an important tournament to them. You know, like it's just... You know, I want to kick my buddy's butt, you know, two weeks from now, whatever it may be. Um, so the first thing usually I have to figure out is how important in that moment is that event? Um, for example, let's use professional golf. You got four majors, which are typically the most, what I call the North Star of, of a season, right? Um, and the FedEx Cup. You, you, you kind of put those blocks together. So um, if I find something that I have to really change within that, I try not to make the changes before these major blocks. I call them red light events. The world stops for that stuff, right? Their world stops for those types of things. And then they have other what I call, you know, okay, I don't want to make major changes because what happens? You're changing the car right before they're going through something major. Very difficult. Um, now let's go even further into that. Thursdays and Fridays, typically, we don't get to control the tee times. Your, 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 your player doesn't. It's not like you and I call in, you know, well, actually, it's Perry. When he calls, he gets whatever he wants, right? But, I mean, it's like that at his house, I'm sure. <laughs> um, but, for example, they'll have a what I call an early tee time and a late tee time. So, let's say Thursday is a 7.30 a.m. tee time. It's not like you or I or anybody. We roll up, you know, trunk slam go out there. Those guys are there probably around 6.30 at a minimum to get ready for their 7.30 tee time, at a minimum. Some guys a little bit, you know, because it's so early, they may take take that. But that means they're up at, what, probably 5, 4.30, you know, depending on rituals. The next day, they have a later tee time. So the night before, for example, on an early tee time or the, an early event, I'm on much more passive type of stuff. Much more, you sit down, do your thing. I know you're going to be a little groggy in the morning. So let's just do more passive stuff. Let's get you to bed. The biggest thing that they would have as a weapon is getting a good night's rest, not what I do. So after the round, we know you have a late tea time. You're a little sore anyway. I could be a little bit more aggressive with you. I can, you know, kind of dial up my intensity on how I work with you, my soft tissue areas that are a little bit, I, I don't have to worry about some soreness because you're probably going to be sore anyway, a little bit. Um, get the hydration right. Um, make sure you check in with your fam, do all your media, blah, 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 blah. And then take a look at you the next morning and just do some touch-ups. During the events, I'm not doing a ton unless it's a holy crap medical issue. Um, and for example, you know, we've athletes sometimes have to basically play for another contract while they're playing. 
And it was one of those events that they were in the playoffs. And it was like, we got to make sure you play this game somehow. Because if we, you know, and I was like, so you're not going to like me. This is, this is you're going to feel sore as heck. Um, and, but if we don't, you're not playing. So does that make sense? We kind of have to look into that situation too. Baseball, when I land, if it's a pitcher specifically, first question I always ask is, when are you pitching? Uh, because that 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 day that they're pitching, um, and you guys have been in this world when an athlete on game day, they're they're a different psychology than all the other days, you know. Um, and no matter how veteran they are, you know, you don't become a veteran for not wanting to win. It's just what you do. Um, they've been winners their whole lives. That's what they're used to. That's why they're there, right? Um, and so that morning of it's very very abbreviated with me. I keep things pretty level. Um, after they pitch, I can go as deep as I want, whether it be acupuncture needles, with the intensity of how we're, you're going to be sore no matter what we do anyway. It doesn't matter, right? Uh, uh, another question, as I've learned also, is with baseball guys, specifically pitchers, it's when's your bullpen? That's their dry run before, it's usually two days or three days before their actual pitching day. So, all right, and this is a starting pitcher. Again, now we got to look at reliever closer, et cetera, et cetera, but a starting pitch. All right. When's your bullpen day? Got it. Your dry run. I probably don't want to get you too sore too. Cause confidence wise, I can't shake you either. Um, kind of how it works. <laughs> so I, I have two follow-ups to that. So let's start. You left off with the confidence piece and we have to be careful in what we do about, you know, delivering too much information. And, and like, even when we've taught for FMS in the past, it's like, we have to explain that any words that you and I would use if, if we were sharing a patient, Jim, it, we're not sharing with that patient about talking about dysfunction, imbalance, you know, all that type of stuff. Because, you know, I, even to the extreme is, and this was kind of ridiculous, but I had one team, an NFL team that I went down and worked with their training staff. And then when I followed up with them, they said, our head coach doesn't want to do any type of testing. And I said, why? He said, well, because he doesn't want his guys to be told that there's anything wrong with them. Yeah, now, you don't tell them Superman cape, but you don't tell them that the cape has a hole in it either. <laughs> yeah. But at the same time, like, isn't that what coaching is? Don't you watch film? Like you tell them at some point they did something wrong, but- yeah, I but there is a there is a crossover, like you're saying, like you don't tell a starting pitcher on on game day when he's about to take the ball that you're not 100 percent. They know if they're not 100 percent. Yeah, I mean, it's it's at that moment in time on game day, they are a superhero. You know, that that is the, the mentality. They are a superhero. And and we, we just got to make sure that. They know when they're not well and they know that that, listen, this is the uh, was it? What's that movie, The Rookie, where the guy throws and goes, this is going to hurt? Yeah. I mean, they know when, okay, this is, I'm pushing the car through that finish line and it's going to crash and burn, but it's specifically for a reason. And and that's kind of where you have to be careful um, with that. You know, the, the world, I think that we see with all three of us that we, we've been blessed to work with a lot of gifted athletes, a lot of gifted athletes. The one thing that I always tell people with our industry is, is that, are you willing to take the blame when it doesn't work well? Well, it, that that also is a two-sided coin too, because as soon as guys start getting hurt, it's like, you know, everybody calls up the radio station and says, fire the training staff, right? <laughs> well, you don't realize that guy didn't even work with the training staff. He that's has his own, you know what I'm saying? If that's a, what they don't get. But I asked. <laughs> or, or the guy didn't, or the guy worked the training staff and he didn't do anything. Like, you know, when they say, oh, this doesn't work, or that those guys stink. Well, I tell you what, that guy came in and he, I gave him things to do to work on and try to help him. Or every time I, he was supposed to see me, he blew me off. Right. I can't, there, there's a human being at the end of all this. And hence, I think the trust factor, again, we go back to it is that the athlete won't blame you specifically if they trust that you're doing everything under your power. It doesn't change. It doesn't mean that they're going to not blame you or any of that type of stuff, but it's less likely, I think is a better way to put it, that it's, this isn't a guy. We have to look beyond the spreadsheet. We have to look beyond the score sheet because there's details in that type of stuff. So I have two more, Perry, before I trade it back to you. Is is one is I actually had this discussion with, with a, a, a pro pitcher that I work with because we would do, when he would come in for a session, not, not all that different from what, from what you're saying, we would do a, a quick you know, uh, screen to kind of look at how you're moving. Can you touch your toes? Can you extend? Can you rotate type of idea? And then 
if we found something that was, you know, there was a little, um, you know, there was a little hitch somewhere or a little, you know, hesitation somewhere. Okay, let's dive in a little further. And then we'd say, okay, well, let's, you know, you're, you're, you're a little hesitant going to your right in your rotation. Let's break that out. Okay, it looks like it's coming from your T-spine. Let's do some T-spine rotational work. Let's get you back up on your feet, retest, boom, all oh, that's all clear. And so I asked him point blank. I said, if I was in your locker room, you know, and did that with each player or whoever before, you know, when you first arrived on game day, how much do you think it would impact injuries? And it was funny because he turned to me and he said, 33%. I go, what do you mean 33%? How do you land on that so fast? He goes, well, look, a third of the time I feel awesome. So if you came up to me on that day, I'm going to tell you to go screw yourself. Like go away from me. Don't talk to me because I feel great. I don't want you to screw it up. A third of the time I feel like absolute garbage, right? And a third of the time I don't feel right, but I don't know what it is. So if you could take me those times and get me to feel great, or if you could take me the times that I feel like garbage and get me to at least feel okay, 30%, there's 33% of the time. Because every time I've gotten hurt, it's when I feel like garbage and I fight myself through it. No, that's great. Yeah, it's a great way of putting it. So now the, the next piece is that you, you, something that you kind of glossed over quickly, but it's worth revisiting is to that point is realizing how much we try to tweak the closer we are to competition. You know, when we all start off, right, everybody gets asked, especially if you work with, say, golfers, you get asked, oh, could you come and do a, a warm up stretch or can you come and adjust people uh, before the big tournament, you know, before the big member guest tournament and set up a tent, you know, this weekend? And if you want to screw up people's golf games really good, completely change their movement 10 minutes before they hit the first tee box because now they're going out and doing a very highly skilled activity with a completely different body and a completely tweaked nervous system thanks to what you did. Yep. And, and it's, it's, so again, that's why I think that it's important that they're not wrong in trying to increase ranges of motion and getting them to have a little more mobility. Um, but that that's that's really treating to the score sheet or treating to the spreadsheet. Like we 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 have to look beyond that. And one of the things that I've, I mean, to work in the industry that we do, um, th it takes a lot of balls. Okay, and the reason I say that is. Are you willing to cost that athlete X millions of dollars if you don't get this right on a contract year or if you don't get this right on this big game in this big stage where everyone's there um, or you're willing to do that before the big game for this kid who has a college scholarship with the scouts showing up that day. Uh, so the tweaks, you better be sure that they're going, you know, there's no guarantees but you're going to have to if you're going to make these tweaks. So we, we, I want low risk, high yield tweaks, and I want them to be very, very minimal where the athlete doesn't feel like if I'm not wrapped in bubble wrap, this tweak will lose itself. Hmm. So, you know, with that being said, um, it's, it's multifactorial, right? You look at all of the stuff that we do and all the decisions that we make. And, um, you know, I always think back again about just like the, the communication, obviously with everybody, with the coach, with, with the entire system, like how important is the communication process in every step of sort of what they're going through, whether that's their family, whether it's their kids, whether it's the other medical staff, you know, I imagine when you're going in as this concierge guy, right? And maybe you're working with a team per se that maybe doesn't want you to be the concierge guy. Yeah, I kind of think about like some of the stuff that happened at the New England Patriots when you know Brady was there and he brought his guy. Like, how important is it to to communicate with the, with the staff and with those individuals to make sure that look at the end of the day you're there for them and you're not trying to take anyone else's job or do any do the job of anyone else? Uh, you know, the I keep it as open as I can. Um, what they choose to do with the with it is up to them. Um, but I also try to be respectful um, because I have to consider that during, let's just say, a season for baseball, football, et cetera, you're, you're, you're at that point in time, I am not the one spending the most time with these guys because, you know, they're on the road with their team. They're on the road. So really, I use I've talked with a couple of training staffs and I said, OK, what do you typically want to do in that for him? OK, got it. So even when they come in and assess me during the offseason, I'm thinking, okay, how do I help this training staff's life be easier? I'm concierging two people at the same time. 
the training staff in. Because if I give an athlete that can actually do the things that they want to do and their headache is easy, guess what they're going to go? You know what? I don't need to know what they're doing. They're making my life easy. You keep going seeing you. Um, that, that's kind of how I, I, I cost years to staff actually to try to make sure that their lives are easier. Um, I do touch base with uh, loved ones. Um, psychologically, I understand, but not that the athlete sometimes wants to hide anything, but it may be something that they just forgot, you know, just forgot to mention. I mean, you know, we talk about taking a thorough history and, oh, you missed it in your history. No, the guy just forgot to tell me, you know, just like, can we remember every injury we've had? You know, like it's, it's, I mean, it's difficult, you know, I, or heck we we've had bruises. We're like, what what did I do? You know, what, what the heck did I do? Oh, you know, the old man thinks, shoot, I got hurt sleeping. You know, like that, that, that type of stuff. Um, so, yeah, the communication has to be open um, and uh, it has to be. That's why I think it's really hard to maintain this with a super high volume of people that do this. Uh, meaning, meaning if I were to see, you know, thousands and thousands of people in this particular in this particular model, I couldn't do it. I couldn't keep track of the communications. So in, in terms of how you go about things philosophically, I'm sure it's very similar to, to, to Mike and I in that a lot of it is not so much about the thing you're doing, whether it's a kettlebell drill or a manipulation or uh, a grass and you know scraping, but it's much there's just as much, if not more, about education and getting them to learn how to self-manage. Yeah. Right. So it, and and how much of that do they embrace? to say that it's ultimately your body that's going to do this. So I want you to, if I really do my job, I almost become obsolete to a certain extent because you understand how your body ticks, what makes it right, what makes it wrong. Yeah. Work yourself into being a better teammate and work yourself out of a job. Yeah. Awesome. And now let's, let's kind of shift gears a little bit and just kind of talk about some of the tendencies that you may see for whether it's certain dysfunctions or pathologies that may tie to certain sports versus just commonalities you see that that are that tie back to basic human function. It doesn't matter if they're a golfer or a starting pitcher. One of the top tendencies in in sports in general is these guys, um, they don't sleep well. Um, partially because when they get back home, a lot of them obviously have family things, but their escape has been video games. I mean, if you if you've seen enough people, you know that they travel with their laptops, the the whole shebang and all that kind of stuff. Right. So the tendency right now is that they don't sleep well. And, you know, we can, you know, shame on you type of thing. But this is an enormous pressure for a lot of these guys. You know, this is enormous pressure. It's pressure when they win because the next one comes up. It's pressure when they lose because they've always been the man, you know, and it's pressure from a uh, from a from an earner standpoint. You know, they are the source of income for their families and we can say all the things you want to say, but that's their escape. Um, so the sleeping and the video games uh, has been tough. Uh, that's the that's the biggest tendency that I'm seeing is just how they're how they're trying to actually turn the off switch on. That's the biggest pathology I've got. Um, because we know as it as as it, the, the it, there there's compounding interest with this stuff, right? You, you 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 we can all do it. We're, well, maybe not us anymore, but we've all done it when we were younger. Three hours of sleep, wake up, next day's a game, just play. What are you talking about, right? But as as time goes on, try to do that throughout the season. It's really difficult. Um, and then their travel schedule. So they fly in late at night. Or if they fly in during a day, it's three-hour time difference. We don't think anything of it. Boo-hoo. But then they're on again the road again. They're on the road again. Then they're on the road again. Now they're also trying to get their video games in. They're all trying to get a little bit of the escape. So it winds up really they're, what's what the biggest tendency is right now is their, their recovery time or the restorative time is just robbed. And that unfortunately can't get undone all the time with reactive measures, maybe in the short term, but like that ice bath isn't going to give you an extra four hours of sleep. It may get you to feel good enough to get through, you know, uh, throwing a two inning of two innings of relief, but ultimately, you know, that bill's coming and you're going to have to pay it. Yeah. With interest. That, that's the biggest thing. It's, it's, it's compounding. Um, and then, you know, and then all of a sudden now you're stressed about tracking your stress. Yeah. And then how do the, and then each personality handles that differently. 
um, in terms of like now you have wearables. And, you know, when clients ask me about, well, would this be a good thing or this be a bad thing? Well, if I have a client who's been neurotic about their sleep and and has had sleep issues for, for as long as I've known them for 10 years plus, and they ask me about an aura ring, I'm going to say, no, I don't want you getting one because it's not going to, what do you need? You need the ring to tell you, you sleep like shit. We, you've been telling me that for 10 years. I don't need the ring to tell me that. And if anything, you're going to get more wrapped up in the ring. Right. So, so it's very important to commute and going back to the whole communication things of kind of the stuff that we share and kind of stuff that we can maybe know, but we're not necessarily sharing with them. Yeah. I mean, it, it happens for us. Think about when we have consecutive road assignments of teaching you, your, your first one, you could pull off the adrenaline between the flights running late hotel, screwing up your check-in. I'm not making any scenario that even any traveling business person goes through. Right. And all of a sudden, your your key didn't work. You got to go back downstairs and whatever it may be, all all that kind of stuff. You can pull it off. You can for that first day of the seminar, you know, for the first day of the workshop, the first day of the work meeting. But keep it going towards the end of that year. It's just brutal. Yeah, but I power through it. I'm a professional, Jimmy. It's true. It's true. (laughs) I've Physio- seen the- physiology and neurology do not apply to Eric Gotti. They it's no. just a, it's like I, a, I go full like cyborg. Suggestion. They're a suggestion. They're not real. Yeah. That polo go that polo goes on. It's like when Stallone would turn his hat backwards. Over um, the top. When he go, like, you know, over the top. Yeah. It's <laughs> is is yeah. I turn into a cyborg come come that weekend in that ballroom. I'm That's- locked in. I would say that is the biggest thing that um, from a tendency standpoint in today's modern world across the board, it is tough. It is really, really tough. Sleep. It's a biggie, man. I mean, that's it. That's yeah. Anyways, we we could we keep going on that, but. So Mr. Perry, any last questions uh, for our, our good doctor friend here? No, no, we, we covered a lot. Thanks for coming on, buddy. It's good to see you. Oh, thanks for having me guys. So, so talk to us, tell us what, what's kind of new on the horizon other than the top secret people that you can't tell us about that you work with. Do you have anything new and exciting you're working on? Um, kind of, you guys kind of segued it, uh, in a weird roundabout way. Uh, uh, Dr. Mark Chang and I, who are really good friends, um, we are working, uh, currently on, uh, delivering teaching, uh, traditional Tai Chi, uh, to the masses in a way that is much more accessible and peeling back the layers. Um, it's a project that we've been working on under the umbrella of our K3 combat movement systems. Uh, and it started, he's always, I mean, he's a martial artist. I'm a martial crayonist. I mean, I, I call it like crayons, right? And uh, the, the uh, this last two years or so has been very difficult for me personally to train, to do the things that I need to do for, that I want to do for my body. But also to train. Um, so a few years, a few years back, I got my second degree uh, black belt in taekwondo, and uh, to get further and further and further, you clearly have to dedicate a little bit more time, but also have more training partners. And my lifestyle wouldn't be congruent to that um, from the adulting standpoint, uh, making money, etc. And uh, so I had to try to figure out a way to at least do something for my body on the road. I mean, Eric, you, you know, like you've called me. I'm like, dude, I'm on the road for five days. Okay, you back yet? No, I'm on a road for another seven. And I'd be in a room, a hotel with no gym or just in the player's house and very, very inaccessible types of things. So I started investigating that because you kind of read all the stuff about, you know, oh, it's good for your body. It's good restorative, meditative, all the stuff that like you could Google it forever. Um, so I started uh, diving deep into that world and probably, I'm going to say eight months into it, you know, talked to Chang about it. I'm like, dude, what the F? I'm maintaining the same body weight. I'm moving actually better than I've ever moved before. Um, and at the same time, like every once in a while, I'll dabble into sparring just because I would have the time to get into this. I'm like, I'm actually doing just as well, if not better, um, A, because I'm probably not as tired or injured, but what's up? And we kind of try to dive into it. So uh, we're, we're, we're working on delivering that um, in the very, very near future. Oh, I can't wait for that. I, I uh, don't know the slightest about Tai Chi other than when I opened my first facility and we started offering classes, I knew that there was something there to it. And it was really, really difficult to find an instructor who knew what they were doing. 
And once I found one, you know, we brought it in, we had it once a week and I made sure that I cleared my schedule to get in that class because there's so much awareness, tying, tying of the breath, understanding posture and relationships. Like there is so much elegance in there. Um, but unfortunately, it's something that that we don't necessarily have as a cool, you know, fitness type thing. But I think it's a very, very powerful adjunct to any fitness, wellness, rehab performance program. Yeah, our, our, it was totally self-serving. Um, and, you know, it was more of like, uh, we forget, we have to forgive ourselves for being human. Um, and uh, I don't believe any of us would trade training for an hour with spending 10 more minutes with our loved ones. And I, I and because we're so busy and pulling left and right, and I, I do know there's times we have to do this. I understand there's th that part of it, but I had to be, I had to say, okay, I'm, I'm a wuss. I suck. What the hell? Wake up at six, wake up at five, do your thing, et cetera. And it was, it was just really difficult for me. So I had to figure out, okay, but you, we, I, I don't have any like specific science journals off the top of my head, but everyone knows the benefits of it. It's been well documented. So I said, let's figure out what I can do. And that's kind of, I just made some lemonade out of it. Awesome. Fantastic stuff. Well, can't thank you enough, Jimmy. Always great seeing you, buddy. Great seeing you guys. Thank you. Awesome. And thank you for listening. And this has been the Principles of Performance Podcast. Thank you for listening to the Principles of Performance Podcast. If you've enjoyed our content, please like and share on your social media outlets, as well as subscribe and give us a review on YouTube, Apple Podcasts, or whatever your preferred platform is to listen to. For more information on the principles of program design courses and workshops, visit us at www.principlesofprogramdesign.com and follow us on all of the social media channels where we post new content every day. To save 10% on any PPD courses, enter the discount code PRINCIPLESPODCAST10 at checkout. If you have any questions we can answer or suggestions for the show, you can email us at info at principlesofprogramdesign.com or message us on social media. Thank you again for your support.